we have already talked about the cups. And for those of you, let me do just a little bit of summary for those who are just getting with us. I would encourage you to go to YouTube, look up the Harbor Worship Center where you see our logo. Um, subscribe to that. You can go get all the messages. And you'll see the logo of the, the series Four Cups there. But Four Cups started way back at Passover. If you remember, Israel had sojourned down into the land of Egypt, and they were there for 400 years. And then God spoke to Moses one day and said, Go to the Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And you know the story. He, Pharaoh didn't want to let them go, and so God sent a plague of the water turned to blood, uh, flies, darkness, locusts, uh, all of these horrible plagues that come upon Egypt. And Pharaoh would change his mind, and he wouldn't let them go. And so finally, after the ninth plague, the Lord told Moses, go back to Pharaoh and tell him, here's the tenth plague, it's the worst of all of them, and this one will not only happen in Egypt right here, but it'll happen in Goshen too, which is where the Israelites were living down in the city of Goshen in Egypt. He said, this one's going to affect both of you, and this is the plague of the death of the firstborn. He said, so tonight I want everyone to kill a lamb, I want you to take a branch of hyssop, um, and I want you to dip the branch in there and sprinkle the blood on the doorpost and the lintel of your house. And he said, when my angel comes by, or when, when my spirit comes by, when I see the blood of that lamb, then I will pass over you. If I don't see the blood, your firstborn will die tonight. And if you remember, I preached on Good Friday, Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. And, of course, Jesus you know, when he went to the cross, basically what he was saying was, I'm the last lamb. Amen. Uh, no more, we won't have to slaughter bulls and goats anymore. All that ceremonialism and ritualism be done away with. I'm the supreme sacrifice. So, then when they got out of Egypt, they still had to commemorate the Passover. And so it wasn't like you and I, we have one cup of wine and we have one piece of bread. Well, they had a meal and four cups of, of wine. And so the first cup, and these correspond to Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, and they were called the I wills or the statements of God, promises to God, not just to Israel, not just to Moses and the tribes of Israel, but these are for God's people, period, which includes me and you. And here's these four promises. It comes out of Exodus. I'll read it again. It says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and here's the first I will, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. That was the cup of sanctification. And Egypt and shadow of sin. It's the life of the world. He says, I want to bring you out. I just, want to I just want to get you out of there. Are you with me? And so he does that. And then he says, the next cup, is, it comes from the next I will. He says, then I will free you from being slaves. And I know they sound a lot alike. I will bring you out. I will free you. One really has nothing to do with the other because God wanted to make a demarcation. He wanted to make a delineation between being brought out, which is nothing you did, not one thing you've done got you out other than saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in you, Lord. That's the only thing. You didn't have works good enough. You didn't have money strong enough. You didn't have connections or people, none of that. So what he said is, I, want, I just want you to know, cup number one, when you drink of that cup, that is the cup of sanctification, and it speaks of bringing you out. And then he says there's the cup of deliverance. They would have four cups of wine or juice sitting there. The cup of juice is, I will free you. In other words, I'm going to free you from being slaves. And this speaks of how he got us out of Egypt. He saved us. This is that sanctifying moment when there's things still in us that he needs to get out of us. There are people today who are serving the Lord that there's some things that God needs to clean up in your life. There's some things that God needs to take out. And so that's what the cup of deliverance was about. And then he says, uh, I will redeem you. In other words, the cup of deliverance had to do with that thing that you're enslaved to, whatever it is, a habit, a hang-up. An attitude, whatever it is, I, I, I will free you from that. And then he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. And that word redeem means to put back to its original intent or purpose. So 87% of Christians don't even know why they, are, or why they were born. They don't know if they're supposed to be a musician. They don't know if they're supposed to be a nurse or a doctor or a preacher. They have no idea. They just they got saved and they're just, and let me tell you this about saved people. Saved people that just come to church and don't do anything else will not stay very long. 
That is a fact. You can look at me like a calf staring at a new gate. I'm just telling you the truth. If they don't get involved in some kind of ministry, some level, somewhere, they will not hang out. You know why? God gave every one of us a purpose. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. God gave every one of us a purpose. And, and so the first cup was the cup of sanctification, then the cup of deliverance. That was I will bring you out, the first one. I will free you, the second one. I will redeem you. In other words, some of us have taken the wrong road and lost track. Isaiah said in 53 and 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Amen? So don't raise your hand, but have you taken the wrong track sometimes in life? Yes. And, and what God says is, I want to bring you back. I know you thought you were supposed to be this, but I had designed you to be that. Don't you know the Bible said he told Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's belly or her womb, I knew you and ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. God knew and thought about you before you were ever created. <laughs> that's good stuff right there, whether you like it or not. So then that's the third cup is the cup of redemption. And then the next cup is this I will take you as my own people. And I want you to understand, the first cup, I will bring you out. Uh, I will deliver you. I will redeem you. Those are speaking singular and individual to you. This last cup that we're going to talk about today is the cup of praise. It is the cup. It, it is a plural cup. He says, I will take you. Th these are the four I wills of Exodus 6, 6, and 7. I will take you as my own. What's this? Plural I will take you. Nobody has ever done anything great for God all by themselves. Are you with me? You look and say, well, pastor, you pastor a great church. Let me tell you this. It's a long way from me doing this by myself. Are you hearing me? I have hundreds of volunteers behind the scenes. I've got lots of people that do things to help me carry the gospel. And I want to tell you this. Nobody does anything. Let me say this. Dale Earnhardt may have won the 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 race in Daytona, but I promise you he had a crew chief and he had some mechanics and he had some spotters and he had some people helping him do it. Cannot do it by himself. No quarterback. I don't care how great he is. Tom Brady, probably the greatest quarterback. I hate to say it because I can't stand the Patriots, but anyway, but God bless you if you're from the north. But anyway, uh, but, but probably the greatest quarterback to ever live. He didn't do it by himself. He can throw the ball, but somebody's got to catch he can get ready to throw the ball, but somebody's got to block. Somebody, you can't do it by yourself. So uh, let me move on to that. I want to talk to you about this. So here I want to answer a couple of questions. So, Pastor, you just really went on and on about four cups. You know, the cup of, uh, you know, sanctification, the cup of uh, deliverance, the, the cup of redemption, and, and, and the cup of praise. And the first one was to bring you out. The next one was to free you. The next one was to return you to your original purpose. And the third one was that you might uh, serve God with people. How do we do that at Harbor? I'm glad you asked. The first one, the first cup, we drink of the first cup, like right now, in Sunday morning worship experiences. This is the place where I preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit anoints that, and some of you sitting there, and your goosebumps are standing on goosebumps, and you know, and you just, I don't know what I'm feeling, man, but some, you either got to get in or get out. Some people choose the latter, <laughs> you know, but nonetheless, uh, but God's dealing with people, and you feel that, and you don't, I don't know what makes me want to keep going back to that church, but I feel something. It ain't nothing about the preacher. It's something about God. You thought, well, man, Mike hit the right note on the guitar. It's something about the Spirit of God. Oh, yeah, you, you won't think, no, God does use music, by the way. David said, uh, you know, when, um, matter of fact, Saul said, bring me a musician. Elisha, the great prophet, he wouldn't even prophesy or speak to Israel. He said, till you bring a musician. And when the musician began to play, all of us, you know why? Because God inhabits that. And when God inhabits that, he comes down among his people and moves and does wonderful things. That's why it's important to get in with us when we're trying to lead you in worship. That was free. Wasn't even in the notes. <laughs> so anyway, um, so how do we... How does it work at the harbor? The first cup happens in, in right here. When we preach a message, it's simple. It's not deep, deep, deep. There are times for deep theological stuff, and we're going to talk about that more because I love deep theological stuff, but it, really and truly all you need to know is the ABCs of how to get saved to get a lost person saved. It happens right here on Sunday mornings. And then, then how do we drink of the cup of deliverance, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. 
And it happens to be, and we didn't really plan it this way, it just happened to be, today is life group sign-ups. Once you get um, saved, brought out of Egypt, that happens oftentimes. It don't have to happen here, but a lot of times it does happen here. We've had more than 50-some-odd people give their heart to the Lord in the last 30 days right here. Amen? How does the cup of deliverance work? How do I drink of the cup of deliverance? Because you're dealing with issues and you got hurts and you got habits and you got hang-ups and weights and sins and all that. Guess what? In life groups, you surround yourself with people that have gone through similar things. Let me say this. This ain't notes either, but you might better pay attention to this. I heard it again this week, and, and it's been on my mind over and over and again. And you get to choose who they are, but you will be the average of your five closest friends in this world. You hear me? You'll be the average of your five closest friends and the five closest relationships to you. So listen to me. If you want to get smart, hang around some smart people. There might be some people. As a matter of fact, uh, Richard turned over to, to uh, Josh and told him he couldn't hang out with him no more in the first service after. <laughs> I'm only teasing. But nonetheless, is you'll be the average of the five closest associates to you. So listen, if you want to get smart, hang out with smart people. If you want to get strong, hang out with strong people. If you want to be deep in the Word of God, hang out with people that are deep in the Word of God. Amen? If you want to have a strong marriage, try to hang out with people that know how to have a strong marriage. Conversely, if you want to find yourself on Skid Row, hang out with people that hang out there. Huh? You want to find yourself back in prison? Hang out with people that do those kinds of things, and you might find yourself right back. You want to live a shady life? Hang out with shady people. Just look right at me. Don't look left or right. Just right at me. So, so listen, the cup of deliverance, it's lived out in life groups. Why is it in life groups? Because that's where you can kind of let your hair down. That's where you can say to this person, hey, I've walked through this parenting teenagers before, and it is hell on earth, but I lived. Huh? I walked through this cheating spouse, or I walked through this job, I walked through this tax problem, I walked through this or that or the other. And, and listen, I'm not saying publish everything in your whole life to somebody there. You might not want to do that. But there's a place where you can find some confidants and some friends and do life together because you can't do it by yourself. And I'm going to show you why in just a moment. So the third, how do we do this third one, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. The, so that was the cup of... Um, Deliverance, delivered. Get involved with people who have been delivered. So, so then the cup of redemption, what is the cup of redemption? The cup of redemption speaks of getting me back to my purpose. Why do I live? Why do I exist? And that's, we fulfill that here in, in one way right now, but by the fall it will be in two ways. Right now through H-Track. We go to H-Track, we learn about the vision of the church. We learn how, what we're what we do here. We talk, we do a Briggs-Myers personal evaluation and so forth in there as well to find out if you're an introvert, if you're an extrovert, you know, if you should be working on the praise team or in the parking lot, if you should, you know, because everybody ain't cut out to be a greeter. You know, if they let Charles Manson out of prison tomorrow, he's welcome to come to the harbor. That, that's fine. If God forgave him, we can forgive him too, but we probably ain't going to put him at the door greeting. Are y'all with me? Amen. He's got demonic symbols on his forehead and whatever. We'd have to do some serious makeup artists about him. If, uh, but, so so we got to find another place for him to serve. But I'll tell you this, God can save him. If God can't save the vilest sinner, then me and you are in trouble. Did you hear me? No, no, see, I, I can almost feel the pushback right there. Some people say, no, 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 God saved good people like me. No, no, there is none good. No, not one. None of us deserve anything from you. So we fulfill the cup of redemption and we drink of the cup of redemption through H-Track where we find out uh, what it is I'm born for, man. Um, there are people, like for instance, Dex, man, he was born to play the saxophone. I don't have to go into deep theological reasons why. I'm just telling you, the man was born to play the sax. The Navy let him do it for 20 years and today, today is the 20th year in the Navy. He's on terminal leave, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if he's still with us or not, but he was born and played sax. So you find out kind of what it is God has geared you for, what it is that God has made you for. And you find that out not only in eight track, but in coming in the fall in our leadership academy. I find, in other words, we get to try some things. You know, you, you try this, and I love what Richard said, put your left foot in, pull your left foot out. <laughs> if you don't like that, man, you, you put, put, 
Put your right foot in something over here. Try it. If you don't like it, pull back. Find out where you fit in the kingdom of God. There's something for everybody to do. That's right. You do have a calling. Okay. So then the cup of praise. Where are we going to live this one out? Let me just say this real quick. We're going to live out the cup of praise on a serving team somewhere. And, and I, I promise I'll explain that and make it make sense to you. But let me just say something right now. God has intended for us to live a life of fulfillment. Did you know that? He said, I am come to give you life and more abundantly. Notice what John 10, 10 says. The thief comes but to kill or to steal and to kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give life in all its fullness. God wants you to live a full life. Did you know that? Look at your neighbor and just say, God wants you to live a full life. And, and right now, I want to give you three reasons why you're not. If you're not living a full life, I want to give you three reasons why you're not living a full life. Are you with me? Say amen. I promise you uh, we'll get there. The first one is that you allow or we allow our past to cripple us. You can't get beyond what you used to be. Huh? That's right. You put on a pretty dress and get ready to come to church, and all you can think about is how you used to dance down at the club and take all that off. Hello? You can't come to church, especially in January, because of the sanctity of human life, and you can't get over the baby that you aborted. You hear how quiet that is? Because I'm hitting home. You, you know, you can't even talk about certain things because, you know, maybe you've even asked the Lord to forgive you and all of that, but you've never forgiven yourself. In other words, we allow our past to cripple us. And although we have been forgiven, we are still defined by the mistakes of our past, and we are still defined by the choices we made sometimes years ago. And yet people still define us, and we look in the mirror, and we agree that that's who I am. No, that's who you used to be. If it is still you, it's because you allow it to be. Are you hearing me? Because the Bible tells me that whom the Son sets free, who? The Son of God. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So listen, you may have a past where you did do the dance. I'm telling you, you can still dance. I'm not talking about down at the club. You better be in the spirit if you are down there dancing. But listen, you can still dance. I've been raised in Pentecost, friend. And if the Holy Spirit is in it, dance, baby, dance. <laughs> you ain't going to scare me. So, but some of you can't get beyond the fact that you were hooked on pills for so long and you're almost scared to go get your pain medicine because of what it might do to you. And, and you're just living in, in a horrible situation because your past is crippling you and you spend more time looking in the rearview mirror than you do in the windshield. Let me say this. In an automobile, there is this little thing called, it's about one one hundredth of the size of the windshield. It is called the rearview mirror. It is where you look where you used to be. But the devil has talked some of you into reversing that and giving you a big old rear view mirror and a little old bitty lens for the future. And you can't see where you're supposed to be for where you used to be. Woo, that was a good place to say amen. Some of you are stuck looking at last year this happened and the year before that happened and I failed God over here and I failed God over there. Let me say this. Look in the rear view mirror just a little bit. 5% of the time. So if you're reminded of anything, you know what? When I'm driving down the road, I don't just stare and gaze into the rearview mirror. No. Yeah, I know I failed back there. Yeah, I know I messed up over there. But the biggest part of my vision is focused on where God wants me to go, not where I've been. So the reason you don't live a fulfilled life is because you allow your past to cripple you. Let me read it to you out of the Bible because you don't take my word for it. Psalm 37, the writer says, it's 38 and 4 rather, he says, My guilt 
has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I am bowed down and brought low. Now that sounds familiar, don't it? In other words, I'm looking in the rearview mirror in some of the places I've been. My past just cripples me. Ain't no way I'm ever going to be able to sing up here. There ain't no way I'm ever going to be able to host no life group, man. Not, not, not what I used to do out of my house. Are y'all hearing me? Let me tell you something. When God comes in, the Bible says, behold, all things become new. And we're a brand new creature in Jesus Christ. And old things passed away. Are you hearing me? Amen. So don't let your past continue to define you. You rise up and say, you know what? I ain't proud of it, but that's where I was. But this is where I'm going. Amen. Life groups can help you right there, my friends. Get around people that can look at you and say, you know what, my brother, I've been down this road. My sister, I have been there. I know the pain. But if God brought me through it, he's no respecter of persons, and he can bring you through it too. Amen. So listen, life change happens. I want you to understand. It happens in the context of relationships. Mm. So the second thing I need you to write down, the reason you don't live a fulfilled life is not only because you allow your past or we allow our past to cripple us, but we allow our culture to define us. Culture has really changed a lot. I mean, they've tried to define or redefine all the laws. Marriage don't mean what it used to mean. You know, health don't mean what it, I mean, on and on and on. We allow, if we're not careful, we let culture define us. In other words, we decide to play by the script or the playbook. I mean, you've seen football. You love watching football or basketball. Those coaches walk around. they got a clipboard or they got something. They open it up and they, they get with their team, and they have got a playbook right there, and they say, hey, this is what we're going to do now. Whose playbook are you operating out of? Whose playbook are you? What script are you reading is what I want to ask you. You see, so, so, so maybe you've tried the career deal. Maybe you've had the fame and it went to your head and all of a sudden you fell on your face. Maybe it was making money. Maybe it was status. But is that God's plan for you or is it yours? God, yeah, I, I want you to know something. The devil's promises, his playbook, he never delivers what he said he'll deliver. Never. He, he says to Adam and Eve, don't you know that God didn't mean you couldn't eat of this tree? God just knew you was going to be as smart as he is. He's holding out on you. It's kind of like, I don't know, I, I might be dating myself right here by saying this, but I, when I was growing up, they, cigarettes were real cool. You know, we all had to try it when we was teenagers and whatever. And I, I've learned later that um, I don't need that, man. I need to, all the air I can get to preach and breathe. And, but the Marlboro Man, y'all remember the Marlboro Man? The Marlboro man sat on a horse and had a big old rope, big cigarette in his mouth, and they didn't ever show you him ate up with lung cancer in a hospital. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Hey, I'm not, I'm not hating on some of y'all that's struggling with that cup number two, the addictions, the habits, hang-ups, whatever. I'm praying God deliver you. Hello? You probably make a car payment for what you're spending on them. Anyway, uh, let's just move on. But... Um, I'm saying this, whatever you've tried, whoever's playbook, and I'm saying this, that the promise the devil makes for you is never the payoff you expected. At the end, you always feel cheated. You know why? Hear what Jesus said, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life. So the devil is trying to redefine everything in culture. He wants to redefine marriage. He wants to redefine the home. He wants to redefine everything. So we've got to be vigilant. Here's what the Bible said in Galatians 1 and 10, NIV. I, I, am I now trying to have the approval of men or God, Paul says? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I wouldn't be the servant of Christ. And here's what I know. And I talk to pastors, and, and, and it's a big, hot debate because everybody wants a lot of people to come to church. I'm not going to compromise the gospel to have one person sitting here or 100 people or 1,000 people. It is my responsibility to God to preach the whole truth, rightly divided. If you like it, praise God. And if you don't, praise God. I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please God. That's how it is. And so you say, well, Pastor, there's a lot of churches that, man, I can go across town. Bye. That sounds harsh. 
but I'd rather somebody be truthful with me. I mean, if I got some dreadful illness, I, want, I don't want a doctor telling me, man, it's cool, you're good. No, I want you to tell me the truth. And when I stand before God, when you stand before God, all that's going to matter is how we lived out our life for things that will make a difference in eternity, not here. Amen? So, let me try. So, so you're not fulfilled, and I'm not fulfilled sometimes because we allow our past to cripple us. Secondly, we allow the culture to define us. Thirdly, we try to do this alone. Now, don't look at nobody right now, but you ever seen somebody, they, they sort of, they, they get a little ticked or whatever, and they just kind of like a turtle. They just go into their little shell, and everybody else just leave me alone, talk to the hand or whatever, and, and, and man, I just, it's me. Me and Jesus got this worked out. A surefire way to live an unfulfilled life is to think that you're going to do it all by yourself. You know why? <laughs> Jesus said two are better than one. Jesus said concerning man, when he created Adam in his own image, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. i got to create a woman so she can say, whoa, man. Well, I, I don't know. He didn't say that. That was my ecology. But, but listen, I, I'm saying this, but we try to do it alone, and that will ensure that you'll never live a fulfilled life. Listen, when Satan tried to destroy your marriage, let me tell you something. It ain't just so that you'd hate your husband. It's so that you'd hate all men. It, was, or it wasn't so just so that you would distrust your wife. It was just so that you would distrust all women. So he would rather disrupt all relationships and isolate you into an island by yourself. Are you with me? So it wasn't just about them. The devil don't want to, let, let me show you. Ecclesiastes 4 and 8. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to the toil Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. In other words, he said, I want more and more and more, and I ain't got nobody to help me. I'll just go on. He's trying to do everything himself. That is a sad, sad life. So how do I live the cup of praise, Pastor? How do I drink of the cup of praise? I'm glad you asked. The word praise comes from a word called hallel. We get our word hallelujah. It's, it's, it's praise to God in every language on earth. Hallel. Means to celebrate. Ooh, Means God. Are you with me? Celebrate God. Hallel. Hallelujah. Huh? Hallel. Ooh, Celebrate God. How do we live a life that celebrates God? Good question. So let, let me go on. To live that Hallel type of life is to live a life that is filled with meaning. It is to live a life that is filled with fulfillment. It is to live an abundant life. It is not a life without problems. Some of the name it and claim it preachers, some of the prosperity gospel preachers, some of the false doctrines that says, well, once you get saved, there ain't never going to be no heartache. A lot of them you say you ain't never going to get sick until they got sick. <laughs> Are you with me? A lot of them say, oh, your boat's coming in and all this. I, I want to tell you something. It's not to say that there won't be problems in your life because the Bible said, Jesus said, in this life there will be afflictions. There will be problems. You might as well get used to that. But Jesus said, I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. It's not a life without problems, but it's knowing that when you go through them, that he says, I will go through them with you. So you can walk through the problems knowing that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And while you're right in the middle of it, you can say, Hallelujah, because he said, praise him in all things. So right in the middle of hell itself, just let out one of those big hallelujah anyhow. So he said in the original verse there in Exodus 6, 6, and, uh, 6 and 7, I will take you as my own people. Notice the first three was singular. This one is plural. In other words, I will take you as my own people. So you kind of got to find your tribe. Now, I'm not talking about black and white and Asian and uh, whatever. I'm talking the people of God, those with the DNA of God, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter what color you are, what side of tracks you came from. But he says, um, I will take you as my own people. Amen. I had an opportunity this past week to, to rub elbows with some of the greatest white men, black men, white women, black women, Hispanic, Cuban, I didn't even speak some of their language, but, but we had this language with him. Amen? Let me say this. 
I will take you as my own people. I'm going to live a hallel life when I find my tribe, when I find the people that are going to make an eternal difference because that's all that matters is the eternal difference that you make that's going to wait for us on the other side. Man, uh, wow. Let me tell you a story real quick, and, and I'll try to hurry. Pastor Dino Rizzo, who is over all of ARC. Some of you know Dino Rizzo. Uh, you've heard him. Uh, he had an opportunity to go and see Billy Graham. You know, it wasn't long back. Billy Graham is 94, I think, years old now. And he said, we went to the mountains there of North Carolina, and he said, while I was getting gas, they introduced themselves to somebody and said, hey, would you like to meet Billy Graham? Oh, yes, I'd love to meet Billy Graham. I'd like to go to his house. I'd like to go. So, so they go. He said, we see the pulpit where he spoke to literally millions of people. More people probably come to Jesus Christ under his ministry than any other minister in the world. And quite, I mean, it's just how it is. He has been the advisor and, and, and the spokesperson or, or the warrior in prayer for I don't know how many presidents and heads of state. I mean, just this, this icon that is beyond. Matter of fact, just last night, I'm watching um, past crusades from when I was a kid, watching them sing Just As I Am as thousands of people are flooding the aisles coming to Jesus. Are you with me? They say, would you like to meet him? Yeah, I'd love to meet him. So they get in a car and they go up to his cabin there in the mountains and he said, he said there was a nurse there and then there was a butler that done the cooking and there was a man dressed in a suit and tie and he said, he, he asked who he was and he said, well, I'm, I'm pastor and he said, well, of what church? He said, well, I'm Billy Graham's pastor. He said, that's all? Yep, I got one member, Billy Graham. <laughs> he said, uh, he said, Billy feels bad now because he's gotten up in age and he can't see like he used to. And uh, he said, so I come up here and I read the Bible to him. And I, I, I pray with him and I preach a sermon. I do a devotion and, you know, sing some songs or whatever. And, and, and I'm Billy's pastor. And I said, man, what would it be like to have Billy Graham for a member? Huh? He wouldn't have all the worries. And <laughs> anyway, uh, he said, that, man, that's incredible. That's, that's, that's pretty amazing. He said, but Billy feels kind of bad now. He feels like he's let God down because he, he can't read the Bible anymore. And Dino said, my God, if Billy Graham has let God down, then the rest of us ain't got no chance. You all with me? He said, it was kind of amazing. He said, yeah, he said when I got there, and, and it was kind of neat. He was talking about how things start small and they end small. Don't you know Jesus said, if you have faith, small as a grain of mustard seed. He said, do not despise the day of small things. Billy Graham had a small, very humble beginnings. And now he said, I got up there to his room, and I'm looking at this great icon of a preacher on pictures and look at the podium. He said, I get to the room where he's at, and there he sits. He's got on Velcro tennis shoes. Maybe come from Kmart or something, look like, and kind of pants, you know, just something you just sort of slouch around the house and button up shirt, but it's unbuttoned. I mean, it's buttoned the wrong way, and one tail is way down here and the other, and Dino said, I almost went ahead and rebuttoned mine just in case he was starting a new trend or something. And I didn't want to offend him. And <laughs> he said he had he'd been eating a muffin and had crumbs all over his shirt and his hair was a mess. And he said he had his dog there and he just wanted to talk about his dog. And he said, what's what he can do? And he throws a stick and he runs back and gets it. And how you like my dog? And, you know, and so on and so forth. He said, before we left, he said, uh, Brother Billy, I'd like you to pray for me, would you? He said, yes, and I'll pray for you. And, he said, but before, he said, before you go, I want you to pray for me. I mean, <laughs> how do you pray for Billy Graham, right? And, and it was just an incredible, incredible thing. And he said, I walked out of, of Billy's house and I got in my car. And he said, when I went down the road or down the mountain, he said, I'm thinking to myself, God, it ain't supposed to happen this way. This was an icon of a man. He won millions and millions of people to the Lord. And all of this has happened and now look at him, he's in this Velcro shoes and his hair's a mess and he's 94 years old and he can't read and his shirt's un his button wrong and he said the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him and said, it has never been about Billy Graham. It has always been about me. I chose Billy, amen, and he was obedient in this life, but it was never about him. It was always about me. That's incredible. So don't despise the day of small things. Are you with me? Say amen. And so um, there, there was a guy by, in 19, 
43, by the name of Abraham Maslow. Some of you studied him in college, I'm quite sure. And uh, he, t he identified some needs that people had. That was physical needs to eat and breathe and, uh, you know, then some safety needs to have protection, relationship needs, I mean, love needs, he called them. That was relationships. And then they identified esteem needs. In other words, our need for someone to pat you on the back and say, man, you're doing a great job. And then he later defined these as what he called deficiency needs. And, um, but then they began to study further and said there's more needs that we have. We've got cognitive needs. That is our need to know and our need to learn. We, we want to know how things tick. We want to learn more about things. And then we have aesthetic needs. In other words, that's why we've done the remod for Easter. We want things to be beautiful. You stop at Ulta and bell and get the makeover and, and you know the salon whatever because we have this need for you know the aesthetics of it the beauty self-actualization if you will and 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 we felt like or they felt like maslow felt like that that was the greatest pinnacle that was it when when we had actualized ourselves and our own potential and for years they thought that was it. But then they found that people have a need for more. He said, there is a greater need, and it is a need to transcend this life, to leave something here when we're gone. If you were here Wednesday night, I preached a message about living a significant life, and I told a story about a young boy whose first job, when he was 16 years old, was to mow grass in a cemetery. He said, every day I throw my books in my locker and I got my lawnmower and I went across town. And he said, I began to mow grass. And he said, I would look at the graves. He said, I took my edger and my, my trimmer and all, I done all these things. And he said, I looked at the graves. Some of them you could barely read. He said, I began to think, did his life matter? Did her life matter? He said, I would read the epitaphs. I would read the things. And, and, and I wondered, did they just live and then die and be put here? And I just cut the grass and keep it cutting. Is it, is it over? Or did they lose? Did they really leave a mark? He said, and it done something to me. He said, I determined from when I was 16 years old that I would not just live a life and die and be put in a grave somewhere. But when I die, I can truly say I have lived. Amen. But when I go, I can truly say I have lived. And I live with some kind of a purpose. Basically, I left a legacy. I left something that outlives me. So, how do we fulfill this cup, this cup of praise? I'll say this. It begins with a calling. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, God saved us and then he called us to his holy work. We had nothing to do with it. God saved us and called us. Let me say this to you, sir or ma'am. Everyone here has a call of some kind for your life. may not be to preach right here or to, to play an instrument, but there is a calling. God does not make junk, and he didn't just throw a bunch of matter together, and there you are floating out here one day and then just die. No. And I don't know about you, but I want to make a difference, an eternal difference. Listen, people lose their way when they lose their why. When you don't understand why you live, you just amble along and sort of, it's, I remember we took, um, we took about 12, no, 16 couples to, to uh, Tennessee a number of years ago now, 10, 12 years ago, to, um, for a marriage retreat in Pigeon Forest. And I don't like scary houses. Y'all with me? I don't like it. I'm against all things that are evil. But my wife loves them. I don't know why. And something ain't right about that. But she taught, she loves to get the mud scared. I mean, just go, I mean, just, I'm like, man, I'm going to go to jail if I go up in here because I'm going to hit somebody. Or, but we went down to Gatlinburg or over to Gatlinburg, and there's this big old mansion there. It's called a haunted mansion or something. What in the world we need to go in there for? I don't know. But she rode the Alpine coaster with me, and so I got to go do that. Okay. So I'm holding up my end of the deal. And... We took about six or seven couples from the church that was with us. We got into this and paid money to do it. Good money. 
And then you, you pay your money, and these people are all, I mean, they are gooped out, man. They are bad. And uh, I'm halfway scared anyway. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't think I need to be there. Don't want to be there. But we pay our money right here, and then they hustle us into this little room and slam the door behind us. And wham! And you can't see where to spit. I'm talking about it is nothing. And the room is, I don't know how big the room is, maybe as big as the little area right here. And then voices start talking after about three or four minutes. I'm like, man, this ain't right with me. And you can't, you get smoke's coming out and faces lighting up and pictures, all kind of craziness. And then you're supposed to start pressing on the wall or something and a mantle moves and, oh, Lord. So we head down this hall. Well, I'm the pastor, I guess. I'm supposed to go first. At least that's how they voted real quick. So I guess I'm going to be the first one to get the chainsaw or whatever it's going to be. I don't know. So I'm headed down this little hall. Can't see. Squat. Don't know nothing. I hear something out to the left, and I turn, and I go into this room. And the, the, the lights are down real dim, and there must have been seven or eight doors just all around. Doors everywhere. I had no idea. But ain't nobody moving. They're all huddled up in the middle. And I'm thinking, I need to get out of here. And there's only one of these doors that will take you out. Some of them will let you go 40, 50 feet. Some of them will let you go three feet. So, man, I'm starting to open doors. And, man, I, and I'm real careful about this thing. I open the door and I ease, ease up in here. And I, I go just far enough. I can't reach the door. And then something slams. And I'm running back. And... And so I tried two or three of them, and none of this ain't in. I'm narrowing it down. I finally get to one. I think this is it. I open this door. And, man, I start going. And they get a little confidence in me because they start following me like the children of Israel. And they're coming along, and all of a sudden, some goon swung out of the ceiling. He's coming right down, and I put this thing in reverse so bad, I ran slam over my wife. Two or three couples broke my watch. Uh... I ain't kidding. I didn't know who was where or left, but I was leaving. Y'all with me? I get in awe. You know, what I'm saying is, is here I am lost, and I'm trying to find my way. I'm trying to find which door works. Which one's going to get me out of here? Where can I find success? Some of you are the same way. You want to be successful. You want to find your way, and you just can't seem and we lose our way when we lose our why. I do what I do because God has called me to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's people that do. I mean, Dex plays the sax because he has a calling on his life to play the sax. He plays the keyboard and sings and leads worship and all that because God has an anointing upon him and given him the grace to do that. So it begins with a calling. Secondly, it stands upon a cause. Acts 20 and 24, Luke said this, My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. You know what Paul said? Now, I want you to understand this. And, and I told you, your pastor sometimes crippled you. Listen, I'm not where I want to be. But praise God, I'm not where I used to be. You need to understand that. I'm not, Paul, you know, you want a biblical portion for that? I got you. Paul said, I have not yet attained that for which I was apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. So in other words, I'm not going to spend all my days looking through a big old rear view mirror. I'm going to take a peek at that, but I'm going to spend my most amount of time looking at what God wants me to see for the future. Give him praise. So listen, we use our job, our talent, our family, our possessions, and everything we have. Everything I have is God's in order to make an eternal difference. And I, I need to move this along. The next thing you need to know, not only does it begin with a call and stand upon a cause, it spreads from me to we. You cannot get God's best until you find the family of God, till you find your tribe, so to speak. 
and you get connected. I want you to understand something. Whatever gets disconnected dies. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Everyone that is in me bears much fruit. And if you're bearing fruit, I'll even trim you back some. I'll prune you so you bear more fruit. In me, you can do everything. He said, but outside of me, let me say this. You take a piece of fruit and pull it off of the tree, set it aside. Something's got to happen. It's got to get consumed. It's going to die. It cannot thrive and survive disconnected. Nor can you and I. So here's what he said in Ecclesiastes 4 and 98. Or couldn't be 98, would it? There are two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. Two are better than one for they have good return for their labor. John 15 tells me this in 8. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves then to be my disciple. John 15 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In other words, so that you might be able to live a hallel life. Let me try to tell you an illustration. I wish time would permit me to show you, but let me tell you. If I had one man right here and one right here, and I said to both of you, I want you to go out and bring me somebody to the Lord. They would both go and come back with one person. And then I said to them again, Pastor, the first guy I called, I want you to go back and get another. But I said to this guy, Pastor, I want you and the one you just won to go get another. They would come back and they would have four because these two would go and get two and that would make four. Are you with me? This guy would go and get one, huh? And so you just have that one. Uh, or you have these, the pastor, and then he sent this guy, and they went and got one, so he's three here. But now notice what's going to happen next time. When I say to these, Pastor, I want you to take these. Now there's four of you, and I want each one of you to go get one. Well, this four now becomes eight, right? Each one of and not, not each one, but just the pastor goes and gets another. So they increase by one. They increase by four. And now this time there's eight of them. And I say to all of these eight, in other words, you're all finding your place in the kingdom of God. I want all eight of you to go get one. So they come back. Now they got 16. And this one pastor just went on and he went and got them another one. So they increased by one. And then we said, these 16, we want you to go. And everybody get one. And they come back and they got 32. And they come back, and now, how many we got here? Seven or eight? I don't know. It's just a handful. And then we tell these 32, go back, and they come back, and there's 64. Huh? And then they've got seven or eight, and then these 64 go, and there's 128. Huh? And they come again, there's 256. And you know why? People are finding their niche. They're finding what... Maybe it's to play the saxophone. Maybe it's to run a benevolence ministry. Maybe it's to speak to girls. Or maybe it's to be a counselor. Maybe it's to be a singer. Whatever it is. As you stand with me, I want to tell you, I told you that I would give you a secret to this message. And I'm going to tell you something. I've read this passage all my life, and I didn't even notice it until I was studying for this. It's pretty incredible. Matthew 26, Jesus said this in verse 26 through 29. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, said, take and eat this in my body. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it all. All of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, what's this? That cup they had that night at Passover. Remember I told you there was four cups in those days. They had already had the cup of, of uh, sanctification. They had already had the cup of deliverance. And they have already had the cup of redemption. What's this? Very, very important. Jesus said, he says, this is the blood of the covenant. He's, he's holding the third cup. He says, this is the blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. 
And watch this. He says, I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The night before Jesus was crucified, he did not drink the fourth cup. He drank the first three, and he said, when I drink the fourth cup, it'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. When people are all together, when, when we're all together again, and it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Just so you know, Revelation 19:9, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Jesus says, I'll drink the final cup with you in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I just come to you right now. I'm asking you to have your way in this place. I'm praying, God, that you will minister to your people in a special way. Lord, we here at the harbor fulfill the cup, that first one, the cup of sanctification in this Sunday morning service. The second one, we fulfill it in life groups. We help walk through that deliverance. We help one another talk through and deal with and pray for them there. In H-Track and in Leadership Academy, we, we find out what we were redeemed for and what we were born for and how to put our hands at the plow. In this particular message today, we drink of the cup of praise. The cup of praise is, praise means that celebrating God. And we celebrate you, God, by serving others and thereby serving you. It is actually the complete, did you know the church is God's answer for the world? The church is God's hope for the world. That's right. And it is in the church that he wants every one of his people to fulfill their calling to serve somewhere in the body of Christ. Let me say this while we're still praying. I want you to understand a hand cannot do anything by itself. It has to have an arm. It has to have a shoulder. It, it, it has to have a head. It has it, the arm, the foot can't do it by itself. There has to be knees and, and, and tib and fib and femur and all of these things. Cannot do it by itself. And the church can't do it on its own by itself. It takes the people of God finding their place, living a fulfilled life. Because I'm telling you, life is happy when you're seeing people change and there are eternal results. So, Father, in Jesus' name, may we today do everything you've called us to do. Lord, may we sign on to. We didn't even plan it this way, God, but in your providence it worked out that we'll be doing life group sign-ups today. But, Lord, may we sign on to the group that you would have us. May we sign up for the team that you would have us serve in. In the name of Jesus, and may we drink of this fourth cup together in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord praise as our host is coming.